Psalm 8 that actually that says, how majestic is your name, Lord. Such a privilege that you brought us together this, this morning, Holy Spirit, and we just honor you. We praise your name. And we here, Lord, for you. And as we open your word, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, that all of us, our hearts will be ready to receive what you want to impart in our lives this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Carl, you and the leaders for having us here, me and my wife, Lizette. It really is a privilege to travel a thousand k's to, and to be able to fellowship with, with, with brothers and sisters. And, uh, and I walk in here and it's amazing, you don't feel kind of that you're a stranger. You just feel so welcome. You know, I've been here before. It's just actually that feeling. It's amazing. So, and um, I think what, what struck me is how just how faithful God is yet, yet again, you know, bringing things together. Every time I stand in amazement, you know, what God does. And um, the people that we are staying with at the moment, uh, they're the guys that did the plant in the Netherlands, Peter and Afia. We're actually friends and part of being part of their journey. And yesterday we sat and we spoke about, you know, that sometimes we find that God drops something in people's hearts at different places, but at the same time. So I really believe that God wants to bring a message to the church then, if he does that. You know? um, yeah, so I think when, when you said to me, actually Wednesday evening I had a dream, you know, and I was dreaming about how we had to prepare, like it's like in, in, in a war zone, people approaching us, and we have to take our stuff to leave, and at the end I stand with this bag on my side, and all I can put in there were three photos of me and my family, realizing that everything else I'm leaving behind. Um, and I just felt God is saying that you have to be ready because nothing else is important. Nothing else is important, you know. And then speaking to you on Thursday, you said, well, this is what God was saying to us, you know, prepare your house, get ready before you die. And actually that was a, a, a word to the church to say, guys, we have to come into rhythm of what the Holy Spirit is busy with, you know. And um, hear God's voice in the time that we are living in. So I just felt that the word for today really knits, knits into that. So I was thinking about how do we get our house in order then? You know, just trying to build on what you said. How do we uh, get our house in order? Because I've found that if you stay in the same place for an extended period of time, you tend to miss the things that might, but other people might actually see. Other people might think, you know, actually we have to sort out that. That's quite untidy. Or, and we, we've grown quite, quite used to that. And there's a saying that you can't discern, is it the, the brushes from the trees? Is that how you say it? Oh, the woods from the trees. Yeah, so that is, I don't know Afrikaans, is it? <laughs> so... And then you need someone else to help you to be able to see that. And uh, you have to discover that actually I have certain blind spots in my own life. And often we don't like to hear that I have certain blind spots in my, in, in, in my own life. You have to discover certain things about yourself. And I myself, you know, my wife will tell you, I'm, I'm actually a, a guy that really likes adventure. 
when she met me and I told her about all the things that I had dreamt about, she said, actually, you know, I, I'm feeling tired already just listening to what you want to do in your life. I think there's, people like to discover, you know. I mean, there's a car that was branded the Discovery and selling the dream that if you have this vehicle, you'll be able to discover things. But there's a guy I just want to quote was what Marcel Proust said. He said, the voyage of discovery is not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. And I truly believe the times that we are living in, that's what we have to pray for, that the Holy Spirit will help us to see what God is seeing. The opportunities that God has put in place for us, and we often miss. Because I like, yesterday we had this conversation, you know, what does it mean? Someone referred to this this morning, the first love. The first love, you know. And we sat there and he said, what's your opinion? What's the first love? And I said, well, I think truly to this thing, you know. Because often I take it off and, and I look through my own eyes. And then I don't see what God is seeing. But when I say, Lord, show me. And I see by the power of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of what God is showing me, I see the opportunities. Just a few examples I thought of. You know, Think about the storm on the sea. The disciples saw a crisis. In fact, they said, we're going to perish. They saw death approaching. Jesus saw the opportunity of honoring the Father, just confirming that He reigns, just speaking to the storm. Feeding the 5,000, obviously the, the, the disciples saw that there was a possibility that they will truly be embarrassed. No, no. And Jesus saw the opportunity of a miracle and honoring the Father. Because he said, whenever I, I only do what the Father tells me to do, another opportunity to honor the Father, different eyes. Jonah saw the opportunity of how God was going to destroy a whole city, he actually sat down, you know, was going to watch this. And yet again, there was opportunity of a whole city coming to faith. He went with a message. And I'm asking myself in the church, you know, we, we know what the message is, but with which eyes are we actually looking at the world that we live in? And so, actually, I want to speak about when love gets corrupted. That was what all my heart what was on my heart. So this morning when we prayed outside, people were praying about love. In here, someone mentioned love, you know. And I think it's a word that often gets used in the church. And I mean, everybody say, you know, our dream, we, all, we all dream about love. And do you believe that at, at, in love at first sight, some people say no, other people would say definitely, you know. But love is always part of our conversation. Because we want to be loved. And um, I think it's a word that often gets used in the church. But even speaking about love in the church, what is, what is your concept of love? Because the way we can understand can be different in church as well. Until we realize, you know, reading God's word, this is what God is telling me what love is. And I have to change the ideas that I have 
my own concepts that might have been skewed because I've been hurt in my own house as I grew up of what love really is, God has to correct that. There has to come healing in my life and grow into my right understanding of love. I mean, all of us, and I'm generalizing now, I think all of us have been hurt in understanding what love is. Someone this, this week said to me, whenever I did things right, you know, I knew I was acceptable to my dad. It's all a relationship of performance. Not something of, you know, what I love you, irrespective, because you're my son or you're my daughter. You can't do anything more or anything that I would love you more or for me to love you less. You might make it difficult for me to show you my love, but I just love you. But then we look through the eyes of, of Jesus and we, we read Romans 5, verse 8. I will get to the scripture just now. Actually, I want to speak of in 2 Timothy. But Romans 5, verse 8 says, this is God's love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm thinking of that and I'm thinking, you know, people would say, you, the world has changed. I mean, I can say that at my age, at 55, when we were young, we'd go to the farm, there were no burglar bars, no alarms, no security companies. We would sleep outside on the stoop, never even thinking, have the thought that we might be in danger. So just in that sense, the, the world has changed. I remember opening a magazine when I was still at school, they would say, there will come a time that you will pay five rand for a bread. When will that happen? I mean, we bought a cold drink for 24 cents. It's changed. And everybody in those years went to church. And suddenly you get shaken, you know, right in your foundation and someone say to you, I don't believe, God doesn't exist, you know. The world has changed. So with, with whose eyes are we looking at the world to carry the message, you know, that we should be of love? When we talk about love, it's interesting, uh, just this example, when Jesus met Peter after his resurrection, you know, there on the beach, and I know I think you would have heard this before, and he said, do you love me? but actually was saying, do you arape me? Because that's what they say in Greek. And G Peter was answering, you know I love you, but he's answering with a different word. The two words, the two different meanings, Jesus saying, do you truly love me with deep, deep, intimate love? That's what the, the word means. Surrendering yourself in every aspect, willing to serve without reservation. That's what he was asking. And Jesus and Peter was saying, yes, I love you because I know you. You know, I know you. We're familiar with each other. That's the word that he used. So if God, God's word is that, you know, that we should love, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, my instructions, the guidelines I've given you. If you love me, you will do that as I have. So do you serve without reservation? Is that how you love me? Oh, yes, I'm quite familiar with you, and that's how far it will go. 
only later for him, for Peter, to be corrected in his understanding of love, to be willing to serve without reservation, to say, then you have to crucify me, but please, upside down. Because I can't be crucified in the same way as my Savior. I'm not worth it. Without reservation. So, the scripture I want to look at this morning is from Timothy. And um, Paul sent Timothy and Titus. And in 2 Timothy 3, he says the following. He wrote him this letter and he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So how do we understand difficulty? You know, I mean, everybody in the world has felt the impact of the war in the Ukraine. Right in the beginning, we heard that the effect will, on the prices, for instance, just on cooking oil. I'm like, oh, I'm not that up to date with the price of cooking oil, but I think, <laughs> let's say a two liter was 20 odd rands or whatever. I'm not sure. Now, apparently, it costs close to 85. But they said it at the time. That's what was going to happen. And the guys we met up with now from the Netherlands say, this is what's happened with the food prices. So everybody has, has felt that. So when we say, you know what, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, the first thing we think of is in the last days that we live in, economically it will become difficult because we do know about what Revelation says about the one, you know, the one world currency, whatever. Um, so, and it's been spoken of a lot during the lockdown. So, the difficulty will be economically. People won't believe, etc., etc. But Paul is writing to Timothy to say to him, in the church it will be difficult. These two guys were apostolic delegates. They were sent by an apostle to serve in the church. He says in the last days it will become difficult in the church. Not in the world. Obviously it's difficult in the world. But in the church. Why? He says because... For people will be lavish of self. Guys, we're in the church. And then you find people in the church that should be brothers and sisters love themselves, firstly. And then he breaks her down. He says, self, money, pride, arrogance, abuse, disobedience to their parents. It's actually a, a spirit of rebellion. They're ungrateful. You speak to any parent. They will tell you how much they will get upset if the child doesn't appreciate what he or she does for him or her. You're ungrateful. That attitude. Ungratefulness towards God. Then he says, unholiness. <laughs> I'll maybe refer to this a little later again, but, you know, we have people in the church that live unholy lives. Then we correct them. We discipline them and they say, but what's the difference between this and that, you know? So if you're in sexual sin or being disrespectful, what's the difference? It's all sin. I say, well, the, the Bible discerned between, you know. But, and it's, it has to be acceptable that we can live in un unholiness. I mean, what's, it says, this is what's going to happen. It says, heartless, they will not be satisfied. They will um, love slandering, will love to be without self-control, 
to not loving good. They will betray and deceive each other. They will be reckless. They will boast in their pride. And then it says, you see, they will love themselves and it ends. They will love pleasure rather than being lovers of God. That's what I appreciate, you know, about the partnership. Because one of the corrections that we've learned as a church is just the basic thing of hosting. You have to open your doors. You have to open your house for other people to come in. And this quote, I mean, we all quote it, my fridge is your fridge. But that little piece packet of biltong that you hide at the back of the fridge, so then the people being hosted go there, oh, biltong, you know. <laughs> then you go there, hey, who ate my biltong? But you said my fridge is your fridge. But lovers of self, they would rather love themselves than love God. That's what it says. So it's a good way of testing our love, and it's to, to, you know, to ask people to look at the fruit. And I love that. That's not something I've learned in the, in the partnering churches, you know. Hey, Amen. I'm sitting down with you. Tell me what you see in my life. You've stayed with me for three days. What do you see in my relationship with my wife? Please tell me. And then when you do tell me, am I willing to accept, bring correction, work hard and growing in that specific area? Why? Because I want to re reflect Jesus in a better way. Without realizing it, people watch our relationships all the time. And then years later, you, you hear people say, I've been watching you. Never realizing it. The way you treat your wife, the way you speak to your wife. I'm just looking at the, the way you love each other. Then you realize people have been watching all along. You know, a while ago we had a guy that visited us. He comes from Eritrea. His name is Philmon. And um, he's got an amazing testimony of how God opened the borders of Eritrea. And Eritrea is actually known as the North Korea of Africa. The number one country in Africa for being persecuted. He himself been in prison for a year. And he says in general, people in the church will either be in prison up to 5 to 15 years. And prison starts off easy, in a sense, easy. You know, in the desert, in a camp. But later they move you to different, you know, to make it even more harder for you to keep holding on to the faith. Because then later they take you into a container in the desert. And there you stay with 15 people in one container. And then some of the prisons are underground, literally underground. And when you go to those people, they'll say, that was his message when he came to us. Guys, never compromise. Never compromise. With what? With the love of God. Now afterwards, he sent us a voice note. And it meant so much to me and my wife, you know, and the rest of the leadership. Because he said, Familiar Christie, that's the name of the church, the congregation. He said, I've never been in a church like yours. Never. And he said, I visited so many churches to share my testimony. And I've never visited a church like yours. And I know if, you know, if you can come in here. And I said that to him afterwards. I said, you know what? We've got partners. We've got brothers and sisters. I'd like to introduce you. So I'm found out where he stayed in Cape Town, connected him to a, 
with Ross Lahana, so he's the, seems he's the closest to him. But if I could have told him at the time, that's what you experience, but some people take offense because we say, if you love God, if he's your everything, you have to bring certain correctness in your life. They take offense and they leave. And at the time, we were facing quite a few challenges, discipline-wise. And he comes, these guys, never compromise. That is word for us. Never compromise on love for God, firstly. I visited, we've had the privilege of visiting people, you know, in countries where people are persecuted for their faith. I went to this place, it's on the border of Egypt and, and Libya, small place known by the name of Siwa. And uh, there's a guy and his wife, they stayed there for close to 25 years. And both of them are, are translators. And listening to them how important it is to translate the Bible, I've realized you can't just take the Bible and translate it from Afrikaans to English or English to whatever. You have to do it culturally correct as well and linguistically correct. Because you can't say, because there's a group of people there, the Berbers, the unreached people group, in Egypt, Libya, and also Morocco. So he's been staying there to get to know them. And he, he's an Egyptian guy, so he can speak Arabic. But he had to learn their language. They've got their own uh, language, uh, the Berbers. And to understand the culture so they can translate the Bible, that they can have their own Bible. You can't, for instance, say, I love you, because that word doesn't exist in their language. If you say, I love you, you actually say, I want you to be in sex sexually involved with you. So you, instead of, you know, embracing people, you will offend them. He's been, say, been staying there for 25 years, and then you ask him, and they struggle financially, because they only get support from the people that buy into, you know, the vision that they have. And you say to those people, what do you need? What do you, you know, what do you need in your life now? They say, the only need I have is that, the, that my prayer will be answered, that I can see one person come to faith. That's their love for God. Not, you know what, maybe can you give me 10,000 bucks? You know, we're really struggling financially now. I want to see one person come to faith. And then they cry telling you that story or telling you what's on their heart. I asked uh, Lauren eh, to show you this picture, um, the importance of, of love. We were in, that's in Siwa, and I sat there and I just looked over the market plain. It's a Muslim country, you know, and just praying, speaking to the Lord, and I saw these youngsters playing with that ball. And I got up and I walked over to them and I just made eye contact with the one guy and I showed him he was kicked to me and he kicked the ball and I started playing with him. And suddenly, the boys appeared from everywhere. Because in the Muslim country, a father, when they don't tell you that they love you, you have value because you work. So you find young boys, you see they've got those weird little trikes, like a motorbike with a load body. And young boys driving that because they, they work every day. So even women don't have, a, in a sense, value only for raising the children, preparing the food, but even the boys. So the moment I started playing with them, I mean, they, came, they couldn't stop playing. And I asked the one guy, can you please take a photo? And they were all over me. I had to calm them down to just stand still for the photo because they were literally climbing on top of me. Two days later, 
we get on the bus. It's a 17-hour drive back to Cairo. It was late night, half past 10. And as I stood outside the bus, waiting for the bus driver to get ready, I see these, someone just touched me from behind. I looked around, and it was one of these boys, two brothers, and the mom. In the Muslim culture, I'm, I, me as a husband, or as a man, I'm not allowed to speak to a lady without her husband. I can speak to him, actually, and he can give me permission to speak to her. So the mother is there, and he smiles at me, this little boy. And I greet him, you know, and, and I look up, and before I think, I speak to her. And I say to her, we played football. And the amazing thing is actually she answers me. She says, I know, you told me, you know. And thinking about it, in their culture, when a, when a, a man divorces his wife or the, the husband dies, and nobody takes that, that woman into the house, she will really struggle because nobody, you know, provides for them. So I don't know her story, obviously, because I realized afterwards when she answered me, I'm actually not allowed to talk to her. But as we traveled 17 hours in that bus, at night, the lights are on in the bus. Whenever I wake up or whatever and I open my eyes, there's the one little boy over there who will look back and will wave at me. Why? Because somebody saw him. And that little bit of care, you know, acknowledging. And as the church, when we carry the message of love, how do we show love? If we truly say, but God loved the world so much that while we were sinners, because we tend to love each other much more being in the church. When we walk out, you said just now after we, we worship, when we go out, you know, how do you look at the world, you know, <laughs> in the last day there will come times of difficulty. How do we look at the world and we think those people out there, God while we're still in sin, Christ died for us. How do we think about those people? Are we willing to carry the message of love to them? Because Ephesians, the church in Ephesians, fantastic, guys, what you did. Fantastic, you know. But you left your first love. When you continue that, in that scripture, it says, they will be, they will, at the ends of the end of verse 5, it says, that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And I think that's something very important, you know. I mean, I really felt when you spoke to me about the dream the Lord gave to you, that why I felt my, our hearts connect with yours is that, up till now, the Lord has been speaking to us as a church, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us with these giftings, you know, that He will manifest, that we will trust the Lord when we walk out, that He will work into people's lives. We never want to do things in our own strength, because we will have the look, you know, like it says there, um, the appearance of godliness, but we walk out in our own strength. There will be no power. Galatians 1.16, it says, God was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. You spoke about being discipled, staying in someone's house. 
And I think we often, when we think, we, we read the, we, the word preach or hear the word preach, we think about this setting, you know. But I can share the word with you over a cup of coffee at a coffee shop and in my lounge, you know. And I can teach you while you sit there. And I can change that word with preaching because I'm teaching you while you sit there. Because it says there, um, later in, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Complete patience. It takes time to disciple someone. It takes time to build a friendship with someone who doesn't even believe. I had a friendship at a time with a Muslim imam. I visited him every Wednesday morning. I went down to the mosque. I would have tea with him. And he invited me in at first. We, we had good conversations. And I see in the kitchen they've got these two wooden doors that could open, you know, where you serve out into the lounge area. I could see the wife was in there, but now she's not allowed in the conversation. And the one week just before I went there, the Tuesday morning, I was busy in the shower. My wife comes in. She says, fella, when are you going to ask this guy? When are you going to preach or share the gospel? I can't remember exact words. And at the time, I stood there, and I just felt the Holy Spirit convicting me in a sense to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be his friend. That's the Tuesday. The Wednesday morning, I arrived for my weekly appointment. I sat down, and we're waiting. Obviously, I know the tea is going to come in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And he says to me, Pastor, why do you visit me? I mean, how faithful is God? He prepared me. If I had a, a hidden agenda, I said, you know what? I just want to be your friend. I said, do you have friends in the mosque? He says, no. no I mean, I know what it's like in religion, you know. And he would go with his 4x4, four four, he loved to 4x4. Four four. Then he, and I, my dad taught me how to work on vehicles. Then his car would break down. He would phone me. What he must, he phoned me. I'm still praying for him that God will reveal himself to him because I have testimonies of people that God revealed himself to them. This one lady, we got connected with a mutual friend that used to be in our church, but now he stays in Saudi Arabia. And this lady spoke to him on the plane, you know, all closed up with a, with a dress. And, and she asked him, because she could see this guy's a Western. She said, are you, are you a Christian? And he got such a scare, he gave her my number. <laughs> so anyway, so I phoned her. Lizette and myself phoned her. I said, listen, we're phoning from South Africa. And she says she doesn't know anyone that's a, that's a Christian in a country, not one. And then one day we said to her, but please share your testimony with us. And she shared how Jesus appeared to her over a period of time. And how she came to faith. And she encouraged our com leaders, because we organized a, you know, like a Zoom meeting with her, asked her permission. And she, one, one lady, having no brothers and sisters, encouraging her, supporting her, she encouraged our com group leaders. It's amazing. You know why? Because they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. I had this testimony two weeks ago, three weeks ago, of a guy that met someone in, in Egypt, and he said, 
this, this guy leading the church there had a lady come into him, or to, to the church, and she said, well, um, Jesus appeared to her. And he was kind of caught off guard. He said, but how did he? No, he revealed himself to me over a period of two weeks. Every night she would see him. You know, in a dream he will, he will appear to her. And then she came to the church and she said, well, I'm thinking you can help me, you know. So she came, he, he guided her, helped her, discipled her. She gave her heart to the Lord. And when she came to the Lord, she was quite surprised to, to, to hear that the Christians don't necessarily see Jesus like she did, you know. She saw him for two weeks. And then she didn't come back for the discipleship at the party. He thought, well, you know, two weeks later, she arrived there with a bandage around her head over one eye. What happened now, the family said to her, if she doesn't stop this nonsense of being a Christian, they will kill her. But for, as a, just for, for her to realize that they were serious, they took out her one eye. So the pastor said, but then shouldn't we just stop this? She said, no. She said, they can take my other eye as well because I saw him. How amazing is that? And then she never came back. Maybe she's, it cost her her life. But she saw him and she loved him so much she was willing to give her life. Guys, if we say we love Jesus, you know, it's easy to use that word. You know, if we say we love Jesus. I'm thinking about this scripture, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the guy who wrote the song, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Lord. Your power and your love have saved my soul. That guy, he said he stopped believing. I'm thinking, how is it possible? Maybe we're too busy with the things, you know, and saying that, Instead of, that's the first thing. You have to have the love. I have to have this love of Jesus, you know. I can say to my wife, I love her. And by doing things, you know, instead of truly love her, intimately. And you know what? When we say intimacy, people usually think about the sexual connotation to intimacy. There are nine levels of intimacy. God wants to be intimate with us. I didn't ask you how much time do I have. It is a campsite, so do you prepare the food here as well, you know, so we can. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, you, however, now he's speaking to Timothy, he says, says what's going to happen, and, um, he says the following, you, however, have followed my, you have followed me, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love. You know, the, that's the challenge we have, is for other people to look at us to say, I want to follow you. I said to my wife, I had coffee with one of our deacons on Thursday, and really, him and his wife, they really have a calling on their life. And look, listen to this. He says to me, fella, he's 25 years old. He says to me, fella, if you say to me today, my brother, tomorrow we're with you full time. He's a manager. That's his job. And as a church, we really need people to be with us full time. 
And we trust the Lord to provide for us because financially we just can't do that. But he says, I don't care. If you say to me tomorrow, and I'm thinking, this guy, look at me. He said, if I say that, he'll do it. So I have to be so careful in the sense, Lord, am I hearing your voice? You know? But that commitment, and Paul is saying, you have followed me in everything. He said, in my love, in my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, which I endured, from all of them the Lord rescued me. And he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from you whom you have learned it. This week, on Monday morning, I spoke to a lady. She's not part of our church. And she asks me, because she and her husband are going through a few difficult things, challenges. She says to me, is it worth it? And now what goes through my mind is, is it worth it? The challenge she has, you know, doing the work that she does, and her husband, a very difficult situation at his, at his workplace. Is that what she means? She's, and then she continues what she's actually asking. She answers her own questions. She says, is it worth it? Christianity, is it worth it? They used to be leaders in a different church. I'm thinking. You see, the problem is, I love you, Lord, as long as everything in is in place on this side. I love you because, but please, just sort out my work situation. I love you, but just sort out my, my shortfall financially. I love you, but can you please heal this? And when those things doesn't happen, it's difficult, Lord, to... Are you real? Paul says here later, he says, you know what? I've come to the end. I've run the race. I'm being poured out as a drinking offer. I've finished the race. He knows this is the end for him. And he's saying, now you continue. And I think that's a challenge often for us as leaders, you know, because we have something that we have to hand over. And he says, entrust that to faithful guys, you know. Hand it over to them and now they must. It's a huge thing, you know. To say, can you please, will you, will you just protect us with your life? And then you go into a war zone. And you, then you find out some people's are traitors. And they might sell that, or they might give it away, or just to protect their own life. Timothy is the one who says, who is the church? The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. You know, a foundation holds the building and the pillars goes like this to hold the roof up there. That's who we are. We stand firm. Jesus, I mean, all, everything that we sang this morning is all about Jesus, all about Him. Not what I am, but what you are, and you want it all. That's the job of the pillar, to keep it up there. And the foundation in the Hebrew context is actually the lintel on top of the door. So if you take that lintel out, there's a very good example. There are two cement lintels there. If you take that out, those bricks might fall in. The foundation, and the always Jesus always first.
So guys, you know, we can be excited of what God is doing. But excitement, it's a difference between being excited and being enthusiastic. Because I've been excited. I mean, I sit next to the field and the, my team gets a rugby ball and they're on their way to the goal line and I cheer and I show my shirt, you know. I remember I was in Australia and the Springboks played there. And we actually, we, we took a banner with, and that was prophetic, I mean, no, in a sense. We said Springboks World Champs 2007. That was June. And that year, the Springboks did win the World Cup, you know. But I jumped up and down, look at the Australians dancing around with my Springboks shirt because Brayton Pauls scored three tries just like that, and the Springboks lost the game. I heard it all the way back in the train, you know. Anyway, so that's being excited. Being enthusiastic, the word enthusi, enthusiastic comes from the Greek word means in God. You're empowered in God. That's what we want. We want to get the church enthusiastic to say, I don't want to be excited. I want to be enthusiastic. It means I take what you have and I go out. I want to share the love of Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do today? You've set up the appointment. Please let me see that appointment. I've missed opportunities on a plane different times. Thank Lord, I've, I've missed this opportunity. Please give me another one just to see how faithful it is that someone will come and sit right next to me, the only open seat on the train, and this lady asks me this dreadful question, what do you do for a living? You know, because I don't like to answer that question because when you answer it, they close down. And I said, I'm a pastor. She said, I'm searching. I'm thinking, hey, God, you're so faithful to give me another, another opportunity. I've missed the previous ones. If we trust the Lord, He will give us the opportunities. The world out there, the reality is what we have to be careful of is that the world in the last days, there will come times of difficulty in the church. I don't want to be part of that often say to the Lord, Lord, show me if anything comes into my life that's dead, that's religion, show it to me. As we were worshiping, I saw these water bottles, and I'm thinking, this water means nothing except if you open the cap. What is it that prevents me from allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me and to empower me, to be enthusiastic, to walk out there and do what God wants me to do? So I want to end off, guys, If we love us of Jesus, people will follow us. There's so many ways that we can show that love. But it starts with loving. Not just being obedient. Our obedience grows out of love. Love should be the first thing. I love you, Lord. I love you. And therefore, the result will always be the same. I mean, people will hate us. That's a reality. But the result will always be that people will respond to love. You know? Because mostly people who don't respond positive in love is because they've experienced bad things. Growing up in a house that people said they loved them but abused them, 
going to but love Jesus first and then we can say you know things will change but follow me in this and this and in my love because he says there I'm already being poured out as, as a drink offering but then he says that's 2, Grand, 2 Timothy 4 verse 6 so, but I fought the good fight I finished the race I've kept the faith Therefore, henceforth it is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Such a reality to me that Jesus is on his way. I love to talk about it. I love to look forward to it. But just before that, he says to him, you do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't think Timothy was the apostle. He was sent by the apostle. And as lead elders or leaders standing here teaching, encouraging the church to get them enthusiastic for you to be the evangelists. That's not a word for the apostles. It's for us. You do the work of an evangelist. That's someone who wants to see somebody else come to faith in Jesus. Why? Because we love his appearing. And when he does appear, what are we busy with? So I truly hope that this word encourages you this morning and that you will be enthusiastic, not just excited, but enthusiastic to respond in love. Let's pray. And I'm sorry, before I pray, I'm not sure, I wonder if there are people here this morning, just feel in my heart, if there are people here this morning that we can pray with, you know, if you feel that you, you need to be encouraged, maybe in your own love for Jesus, something prevents you from allowing the Holy Spirit just to empower you, you know, something you might doubt or you're wondering about, is it alright if I say that we will pray for them here at the front or? Great stuff. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning and thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. And thank you that nothing through the ages has changed about you. Father, thank you that we can look forward to your appearing on that day. And Lord, I know that as we've grown up, we've learned that some of us, us might have learned that you are a, an angry God, a distant God. You're God, but you don't listen to people. And all of those things are lies. And we have to be healed in our own hearts and grow in our faith. Thank you for giving us the faith to understand that you truly are a father that loves. You want to embrace. You want us to feel safe with you. And to experience your love. Just being in your presence. To be overwhelmed. Like a young boy says, Daddy, how much do you love me? That's my prayer, Lord Jesus, that, that we will firstly love you. And love, Lord, is an emotion. And when you speak about love in your word, it has to do about, it's all about intimacy. Sharing our lives with, our lives with you, our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings. That we will love you first. Because if we love you, we will want to talk about our relationship with you.
I want to talk about my, my relationship with my wife to other guys and say, guys, this is what I've learned in my marriage. Why? Because I love my wife. And the same applies to our relationship with you. And Lord, thank you that I can pray that for this church. I pray, Lord, that where they, when they go from here, wherever they will be at their workplace or where they meet up with people, maybe just walk into a shop or wherever they go to serve, Paul says, you followed me in my conduct. It will be a true testimony of your love. That's my prayer for this church. And I pray, Lord, if ever it happens in this church that there come, come a time of difficulty, that you will just strengthen this church, strengthen the leadership. Lord, protect them that they will never compromise but hang on to the truth of love. In Jesus' wonderful name, I pray that. Amen. Oh, Bally, you know, you've, you've served us so well. Eh?